0: 2010 highlights, 2011 preview. Read, Write, Web US gives its point of view. Hello, bonjour, and welcome to the Minter Dialogue Radio Show. I am Minter Dial, host of this downloadable radio show, also known as a podcast. I'm author of the Mindset Blog. T-H-E-M-Y-N-D-S-E-T dot com, where you will find the show notes for this interview, and I also write en français on minterdial.fr. Anyway, here's an interview with Frédéric Lardinois, whom I met at Le Web 2010 in Paris. Frédéric is a European, half-German, half-Dutch, living in Portland, Oregon, news editor for Read-Write Web USA at the same time as finalizing his PhD on medieval studies, in this interview, we take a look back at 2010's highlights and lessons learned and look out to see what's on the horizon for 2011. Now, let's cut straight to the interview. Hello, this is Minter Dial from the Minter Dialogue Show, and I'm at Le Web 210 And I had the pleasure to have with me Frédéric Lardinois, a very French name who is the the news writer for ReadWriteWeb out of the U.S. in Portland, Oregon. So, uh, welcome, Frederic. Can you explain to me what you do at ReadWriteWeb exactly?
1: I'm the daily news writer for us. I cover mostly the, well, not so much startup news, but the big companies, news coming out of Google, Facebook, Microsoft usually the bigger stories. I used to cover a lot of startup stuff earlier in my career, but now i mostly moved on to the bigger stuff. And it's the the big news stories I'm really interested in.
0: Okay. And so um, how many people work at Read Web over in the States?
1: It's a very good question. It it moves around a little bit, but it's about 15, 16 people at this point.
0: And what is the... The economic model for uh, RWW.
1: Well, mostly it's advertising. Obviously, there is um, sponsored posts that we do regularly that are very, very well firewalled off from the editorial side. So I'm quite happy with that. And we've also been doing reports. We've been doing conferences. Like most of our competitors are doing the same thing. We've been selling reports. We've also been doing sponsored reports on topics that are, you know, part of our experience, stuff we know about social media. Uh, community management, all those kinds of topics.
0: Right. And so, thinking about your competition in particular, how do you position yourself? What, what do you say Read Web Web is all about specifically compared to your competition?
1: It's it's a contentious topic, but I think we like to think that we're the thinking man's tech crunch, um, a little bit more analytical, a little bit more, more thoughtful, a little bit more in-depth than most of our competitors. Um, as much as we're trying to race for the breaking news stories just like everybody else, we're when we can't, we don't just try to write up the same story again, but provide more analysis than everybody else. Got it. And how many
0: uh, reader webs are there in, in the world? I mean, I know the Fabrice et Belboin for the French, but how many else are there?
1: There's the French, the Spanish, the Portuguese, there's a Chinese translation. And I think that's it right now. We're looking at expanding internationally, especially in Europe as well, in other European countries besides France. So you're actually looking for people who'd like to take it over? Um, Looking for people. I don't know how actively we're looking right now at this moment, but it's definitely something on our radar for 2011.
0: And when you say translation, I mean, for the case of Fabrice, he actually tra- translates a bit. Not, not. I don't know how much he actually translates of the, of the American version. So he actually really does a lot of local content. Is that more the, the typical model or is that just a, a, the French exception?
1: <laughs> no, it's, it's a typical model. It's, um, it's hard to kind of pinpoint the exact percentages, but it's usually about 50% original content, 50% copied from us. All of that is part of the contracts we have with those. It's, it's more of a, almost a franchise model we have, so they share a part of their revenue with us and they get to use our, our name and our content.
0: Do you uh, have a policy of sharing your data in terms of uh, traffic and so
1: on? I, as far as I'm aware, we do not share that data publicly. But I'm happy to say our traffic went up quite considerably over the last year. Good for you.
0: All right. So, uh, all right. Now we're coming. Uh, it's the eighth of December, two thousand and ten. Looking back on two thousand and ten, what do you think, Frederic? Are the uh, highlights for the year in terms of new tech innovations? Uh, what are the surprises? What came? What comes to mind?
1: There a lot of stuff, but maybe the most important one is the iPad. I think that's really a different platform, a new platform. We see new. And it's important that it is a platform. We see new products, new apps coming out for the iPad that weren't possible before, especially in the magazine business where a lot of the apps aren't really fulfilling their promise yet, but you can see that it's going somewhere. That you know, We'll see what the New York Times does with its paywall, for example. There's a lot of interesting stuff happening there on the mobile front. Mobile in general was huge this year, I think, not just the iPad, but also the phones, Android. I, Windows 7 surprised me. Uh, Windows 7 phone surprised me. I think they they dropped the seven out of the name just now. The Windows phone surprised me because it's so much better than every, anybody thought it was going to be. It's not doing very well in the U.S. I think I don't, but in Europe, from what I hear, they're, they're doing quite well. They're getting some market penetration. So that was another surprise. And the the rise, the not the non-rise of sites like Foursquare and Gowala, that still remained a niche. I was expecting that to go very broad this year, that didn't happen. But local itself was a big topic with companies like Groupon, um, Living Social, all these kind of local deal companies, they're doing very well because I think they're actually offering people something of value and not just a virtual badge.
0: Yeah. A-, a check-in doesn't really necessarily cut it in economic hard times, so the closer you are to more substantial concrete uh, item gift service that's what actually pleases
1: exactly and that's that's why i think when facebook launched its places product and offers a self-serve way for companies to offer coupons in places that's a very smart move because that will not only just get all these 500 million facebook users to to use a check-in product but there's actual real value in checking it even though there's been some trouble at the beginning where people you know couldn't get their deals and stuff it's still on the early phases but
0: right do you have any idea of how many companies are actually uh, implementing their own uh, coupon systems on facebook places
1: oh there's there's quite a lot i think right now it's mostly the big brands still and think the small companies have the small businesses the local coffee stores haven't quite caught up yet but i know that at least in my area there's two coffee shops that offer you discounts if you check in for example
0: Excellent. Looking forward to having that over here. All right, Now, now let's be a little bit of uh, a forecaster. What are the big things you're to look for in 2011 and or any uh, the, the, the next uh, movement? What do you think might be the next up-and-coming uh, movement?
1: Oh, that's hard. Um, if I knew that exactly, I'd be investing in some companies right now. But I think the big movement is going to remain local. I think local is getting more and more important because these little little computers we hold in our hand all day are getting so powerful. And for a lot of people, almost the main way of accessing information right now. And that on the go is such a powerful system, having that information, that local information, being able to target local ads for, you know, whether you use Google or some other product. That's a huge, huge thing. And I think we'll see more of that, more Groupon-like sites, more... And I think we'll see the end of the check-in for...
0: (laughs) Uh, The virtual virtual benefit to real benefit.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think all of that will get more social, will tie in more with the social networks that already exist because I think we've gotten to the point where you basically cannot start a new social network anymore because the, the network effect is just in Facebook's favor and Twitter's favor and just what's the point of starting out the social network
0: let's let's talk about Facebook a second Facebook messages is coming out and one of the things that strikes me is that uh, it's it's really obviously it's gonna it's going to change the way we we communicate from each other but it also has this ability to link it in with your network so in fact if you don't know the person you will not be able to communicate with them whether Skype, IMS, or email, it's going to have a way of, of, I would say, battening down the hatches to my network. Is that? Do you think that's going to be? I uh, will have an impact on email marketing, for example.
1: I'm not sure about that. I think just like Facebook has that network effect going for it, email has that network effect going for it. Everybody does have email, and you can still email somebody on Facebook messages but it'll go in a different box where it won't show up right away and it'll be hidden a little bit. So I'm not too afraid of that. If email marketing goes away, I can almost live with that. (laughs) It's not my favorite subject. But I think the Messages product is really smart. I think that kind of unified messaging is really interesting. I would love to see that as an open platform, you know, that I can install on my own server, you know, choose vendors for. That's something I don't like about Facebook in general. There's that walled garden, that silo that they still enforce at this point. As much as they talk about being open, it's just not quite what they're doing.
0: Yeah, I get it. All right, now, so I, I know that you're a half German, half Dutch, half American or something like this, um, maybe you can clarify that. Uh, thinking of Europe, what do you feel are the strong points uh, in terms of uh, innovation coming out of Europe that you see from your angle?
1: I am half German, half Dutch, living in the U.S., for so that kind of clear Thank you for the precision. <laughs> yes, and we can go even more into depth there. but. Out of Europe, the one technology that we're noticing in the U.S., it's it's green technology. It's not so much the web technology, it's green technology, where Europe is clearly a leader. In my town, over in Portland, we've got a big fab from Solar World. It's the biggest solar world, the biggest solar company probably in the world or definitely in the U.S. they're the biggest at this point. And they're a German company, right? Wind energy, all of that is really being driven right now by Europe. What I've been seeing too is, and we talked about that earlier, is that A lot of European developers, people who want to start up, you know, want to do a startup, just can't do it in Europe. There's no angel market. The only thing that, especially in Germany for example, gets funded is a me-too product, something that's already been proven. Usually not very interesting, not very innovative. If you try to do something innovative, you got to do it with your best buddy in a garage somewhere, like in the old days. And that's not necessarily a bad thing but that doesn't scale very well. <laughs> it's
0: okay for the beginning because you don't really necessarily need a lot of money. You just need the intelligence, but then to get the next step is the hard you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, looking back at 2010, I think one of the things we saw is the rise of these one-two-person startups that companies can just do an app. You can just do an iPhone app and you don't. You barely have to be a company. You can be a 15-year-old kid and you can write an app and you can do it for the iPhone. For the Windows phone, it's even easier to do it. Almost, It's almost any amateur can do an app. So there's, the barrier of entry has gotten so low with cloud servers, it's really cheap to put up huge amounts of data and just have that sitting in the cloud costing you very, very little.
0: One of the things that I observe is the, uh, there's a lot of good French programmers sitting over here, and a lot of them go over to the US. It brings up the point for me of talent. And I think that if there's a real battle, and we know the Facebook-Google story, it's going to be around ta- uh, the, the fight for talent. And do you see there's a good pool of talent from Europe over in Portland, or actually in not just in clean tech, but in, in the states in general.
1: Um, there, there is a, a small pool of talent because coming over to the US is still very hard for somebody who doesn't have a job. There's visa problems. The only way you go to Europe uh, to the US is if you can have a, somebody sponsor a visa for you, and so that's very difficult still at this point for a com- for a developer to do that. I think it'd be there'd be a lot more. I think there's lots of talents out here. I think. I know in a lot of the universities don't necessarily crank out engineers as much as academic you know, computer scientists here. That The US model is a little more practical when it comes to computer science and, and a lot more entrepreneurial than it is here.
0: If you take, oh, just taking a little bit of a tangent, the world is flat, Friedman, uh, and the ability to, I would say, distribute your talent. Do you see much of that going on in terms of development?
1: Yeah, that's still happening. You know, outsourcing of, of development is still happening all over the place today. A, a lot of startups are able to scale up because they can send... And a good friend of mine, he does something like, like Tiny TinyChat and, and stuff like that. And his programmers was in Russia. Because they're cheaper, they're very good, but they can't leave the country because he can't afford sponsoring a visa for them. That's way too difficult. It's not worth the money for him.
0: But. So how do you get in touch with them?
1: There, there's... I'm not sure about the exact names, but there are lots of forums and job boards where you can find talent. It's not a problem at all.
0: We're sitting beside some Russians, so maybe we just have to reach out a hand and shake your hands. Um, so uh, you're... You, you, so,
1: they seem sick though I don't know what's wrong
0: that's right they they're, are, taking they're taking French medicine hopefully it's free um, so I know you work with a, a number of large organizations you're going to go visit uh, Scott over in Ford um, what advice would you have for a company that is ramping up its social media strategy you know they obviously get it how would you start what would you say are the big keys to make it successful their, their ramp up
1: well I have to say there's still a lot of art to it and less science I think but the key strategies for me are you got to listen to your com- to your customers you can't just march in and start just sending messages on twitter to people without understanding who these people are you got to understand the medium whether that's twitter facebook or maybe old fashioned forums There's still think about the car industry there's all these very active car forums for example you can get active in there but you have to be you have to be authentic is the, the buzzword there i think you you can't just send corporate commercial messages to your customers and think that is a social media strategy. It's about listening, interacting. We're, airlines are doing that, for example, quite well after the, especially the United Breaks guitars fiasco a while ago. They've really learned to come in and talk to people, listen to people, and use a lot of the a lot of the tools you can even if you're a small company today a lot of the tools are free you can use hootsuite you can use even tweetdeck if you're a small company set up a search for your brand or your cafe or something and just start talking to them look for the right hashtags set up some lists with your your best customers figure out who are the customers that talk about you reward them give them give them a place in that community online too the, the, whether that's you know a table named after them at the cafe or whatever you know you can get creative there but it's it's that listening and being authentic those are the most important things to me
0: in terms of listening so you mentioned hootsuite and TweetDeck. do you have any other tools that you would recommend that, that to, to help understand for example you talked in forums how do you find out what's being said what are other examples of tools that you might
1: suggest there is there are forum search engines and i'm blanking out on the name right now i just just wrote it two days ago, but
0: well, well first of all uh, what you 'll do is you 'll send me an email and i 'll put it in the show notes afterwards that 's the good news and i 'm thinking that by speaking, you might think about it in the meantime in the meantime yeah there you go we can add Libit. all right move on to another question what uh, for you you 're at the center you, you obviously know a lot of what 's going on yet there 's always uh, some uh, inside magic, some potion. what are your uh, favorite sites for inspiration to understand what 's going on where what are your go to Maybe it's personalities or or, uh, maybe it's magazines that help you understand what's going on.
1: (laughs) Well, there's plenty of them. I'm still very old school. I use an RSS reader with thousands of feeds that I browse through every day. But my go-to site in the morning, first thing I open up is techmeme, techmeme.com. It's just the the watering hole for the tech bloggers. And a lot of communities have something similar, I think, as well. That's one of the places. One of the places I go to for inspiration is something called longform.org. It's, Explain us what that is. It's, one thing that has happened in the last maybe four or five years is that blog posts have gotten shorter and shorter. There's less in-depth analysis. So it's not, I, I love just going in and reading a really well-researched magazine post or um, journal article. And longform.org ties in with Instapaper. It's this app that gives you clean text. You can read it on your iPad, online, on your iPhone, Android, all of these platforms. And you just click read later, you see something interesting, click read later, think before you go flying. I did it just before flying over here to Paris and read really, really interesting articles about stuff I would never think about. Panamanian prison islands, you know, stuff like that. That It's just really nice to see that that's still being done and as a way to reward that. Not so much, uh, there's financial issues with long-form writing. You don't have to go into that right now. But that's one of my favorite sites. Too. Yeah,
0: well, clearly, when you get into quality content like that, you have to hope that at a certain point it's monetizable. Challenges that we're sort of creating an environment where 140 character, quick and easy 20-line blog posts, the opportunity for real deep analysis and, and to want to pay for that, where is the audience? You yeah. know, I, I wanted to ask another question, uh, bouncing on that, which is you, you're half uh, Dutch, half German. You're in Portland. How do you... Uh, you can fit back into the other question we are just talking about there, but how do you see the difference, or what do you miss about Europe, and, and uh, what do you like about being over in Portland? Um,
1: well, Oregon is probably the most beautiful state in the United States. There's beaches, mountains, you can go skiing, swimming, whatever you want to do. So I miss very little from Europe. Um, maybe it's also due to the fact that I've been there for a good dozen years now in the US on the East Coast and on the West Coast obviously my family is still here and we come over here pretty regularly but now that we've got Nutella and everything like that over in the US I don't miss much anymore <laughs>
0: Nutella is a, is a golden one All right, and how about uh, to give, uh, finish up with a couple of your favorite games your favorite apps uh, that you would recommend for anyone who wants to uh, try something new
1: well i'm sadly addicted to angry birds like most people let me grab my iphone really quickly here i've got one app that i really love it's a train app where trains run across the screen and i'm looking for it as we're talking it's never a good idea it is not called train yard i'll let you know what that one is as well but i played that when i wasn't reading Insta paper on the way here.
0: So Multitasking.
1: insta paper if you look at my front screen, Instapaper is right at the center of things. Mock, M-O-G, it's a service that's not available in Europe yet. It's a music service, subscription music service. You can and what down- does it do? You can download and stream a multi-million song catalog of music to your phone for, I think it's $9.99 a month. It's It's a great deal for somebody like me who isn't, I don't really care about owning music much anymore. It's something it's like radio, it's like Spotify is a similar app, but we don't get Spotify in the US. Not yet. Not yet and who knows if that's still coming. But that's those are my, my favorite apps. Yeah, I use a to do app that's simply called to do just to keep track of things. It just implemented push notifications so I don't forget stuff. And those are my, my main apps.
0: I have a last question for you, Frederick. and that was, uh, we were talking about uh, some of the highlights from this year, uh, in terms of social media, what are the, well, how would you uh, characterize some of the big uh, whoopsies, the mistakes, challenges that we've seen to learn from?
1: Uh, what surprised me this year was that there wasn't those great scandals, those big scandals like the the Motrin Mum scandal or <laughs> the, the Domino scandal where somebody was, I don't even want to remember what he was doing to the pizzas and all that got shared and and the companies didn't really know how to react to that. I think what has happened over the last year is that companies figured out, the bigger companies at least, the ones that would actually create a scandal, figured out how to use social media in their advantage for the most part or at least not screw up really badly. Um, on, On a tangent there, the rise of something like Groupon was really interesting to me this year. And a lot of companies are using that to great effect for the. But it's also a very dangerous system because a company in, in my neighborhood, in Portland, the cafe, sold too many Groupons and went bankrupt pretty much because they couldn't afford... They were not making any money off the Groupon because it was an under $10 deal and at that point Groupon keeps all the money and they were hoping to get new customers but all they got was people who just got free coffee. So how do you avoid that? By remembering that Groupon allows you to set a limit. <laughs> it's something they forgot. But also by maybe by interacting more with your customers as they come in, you know, by really trying to convert them into regular customers, by trying to build an email list, you know, just by the social media strategies we talked about earlier on, just to be there to try to not just have freeloaders coming to your store, but offering them something they yeah,
0: want. Yeah, so it's like if you get them in, you got a good lead. Bring them in, the acquisition of the lead. But then if you don't know how to convert them, it doesn't yeah. matter. It's actually not Groupon's fault. Yeah. Maybe you no, don't
1: know the how the to... Fault. It's definitely the company's fault. Groupon does a great job of bringing a lot of foot traffic into a lot of stores. And I'm guilty of buying one of those things a week too because it creates an artificial need that you didn't have for that massage. But hey, it's $25. Yeah. Who can say no? So that's a that's a problem for the businesses, I think, to really make convert that traffic that foot traffic into paying regular customers
0: i think it's i mean it's part of the big picture is you know well you might create your facebook page you might do all this but the issue really is making it live and be vibrant and authentic to use your word uh living for the clients so they won't actually want to come back free or you're not free but the next time paying full price
1: Yeah, and it's it's really important to keep your content fresh, for example. That's one thing I didn't mention earlier on. There's nothing worse than a stale Facebook page where nothing happened, especially if you're still a small company you don't have millions of people commenting on your on your site if you're not sarah palin you're not going to have 5,000 comments on every post that's all right but you got to still have fresh content relevant content it doesn't have to be about your own company it can if you're a coffee roaster talk about beans in south america that you just found or talk if you're a, a car business talk if you're a, a dealership talk about some new car that you're going to get you know something interesting something Something that keeps people interested, that it's not just this basic commercial message, hey, we've got a deal, you can get your Ford Edge for $19,000 instead of $20,000, right?
0: Uh, well, then think about that. If you look at a smaller company, let's say uh, you have the, the classic site, internet site, and you have a Facebook page, and you have the application on iPad, which would you say is the, where would you start? If you don't have any, any all three, where, where would you start? How would you look at that?
1: I would start with a web page. And I would tie that in with a Facebook page at this point. And of course, it depends on what company you are. If you're a high-tech company, you've got to have an iPhone app or an Android app. But if you're a small business, I think you've got to have a website. A small business without a website just doesn't exist anymore. And then, well, you don't just want to plaster it with Facebook-like buttons and things like that. There are ways of converting those visitors to Facebook fans. And those Facebook fans will then regularly see your updates too. So it, it's it's kind of a, a nice circle that you can establish, but you got to start with a website, I think.
0: Okay, so the, the, website are, the websites aren't dead yet?
1: The, the websites. I am a big believer in posting my own content and owning my own content. I I Sometimes I still like to think as Facebook as the Internet with training wheels, where we're teaching people that they can do something. And I always hope that people will branch out and... Open up their own sites. The you know, I can understand. There's 500 million people on Facebook. That's not a market you want to miss if you're a brand or a company or a small business. But I'm a big fan in owning and controlling my data. And I, I run my own online RSS reader. I don't run it through Google Reader, for example, because I don't know when they update. You know, it's just I, I, I'm a control freak when it comes to that. <laughs>
0: Well, we all understand that we have all a portion of that in us. All right, Frederic, I appreciate it very much. Thanks for uh, dropping by or into the Mental Dialogue radio show. It's been a pleasure, and hopefully we'll stay in touch. I'll drop in all the other little things we forgot and uh, into the show notes.
1: Great. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. All right, so that was uh,
0: Frederic uh, Lardinois from uh, the Read, Write Web over in the States. who's the news writer for them. And we are at Le Web in Paris on the 8th of December. Have a good day. Talk to you soon. Okay. So thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue show with Frédéric Lardinois, Read, Write, Web, USA. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com and you don't forget to sign up for the weekly newsletter which you'll find on the tab for subscribe. If you like this show and you speak French, you can also find my other French language interviews on minterdial.fr. In the meantime, please come join the conversation at The Mindset, Branding Gets Personal, or catch me on Twitter at mdial. Have a great one. Out. I like the feel of a stranger tucked around me, precipitating the danger, to feel free, trust in my reason son, and let me show you
1: I'm Bruce Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcasts.